A is from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. The Parable of the Sower After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd, <coughs> while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, and a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. Good morning. Let's pray as we open up the Word of God together. God our Father, Jesus our brother and King, we ask this morning as we open up this part of your Word that you might speak to us. We pray that we might be those who hear and hear well. We ask that you might do what we cannot do and we pray that you might soften our hearts. We pray that you might cast from our minds the distractions around us, the distractions in life, the fears and anxieties to come. And we pray that in this moment you might help us to be still and for your word, your seed to take root. And for those roots to go down deep, that a great tree might bear fruit, a great harvest might be born, 30, 60, 100 fold. So that the name of Jesus might be known by more, seen by more. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We all know that words can be a powerful thing. As the old saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may cost me thousands of dollars in counselling and trauma healing. A favourite book of mine that I stumbled across uh, was just a one-off book that I read about uh, called The Dawn of Wonder. And in this book, there's a, a young boy, Aiden, who is one of the most adventurous, creative and courageous kind of young boys that you can imagine jumping off uh, the highest bridge into kind of the water, things that his mother would never want to know even that he has done. Uh, and yet, despite his creativity, despite bravery and courage unparalleled, he has this crippling secret. And that is, during his childhood years, he has gone through significant abuse by his father. And so, uh, as he grows up and this creativity and adventure and uh, bravery becomes more and more prominent, there are certain situations where suddenly when he's confronted with someone who carries his father's demeanour, he is unable to stand and he just kind of melts into a puddle. He goes back to being that small boy cowering in a corner. That is until he has a confrontation, a meeting with, in this book, it describes him as the ancient one. It speaks about this one that he kind of gets drawn into the presence of, the one who created stars in the sky whose voice is like a rushing waterfall. And that the ancient one suddenly speaks his name and tells him who he is. And that those words then leave him changed forever and he later on is confronted by his abusive father again. And as he is starting to crumble and as his knees are giving way, suddenly he looks up from the floor and it says, he looked up and at the stars beyond reach of the highest mountain. Someone whose voice made even those distant stars tremble with awe knew his name, and suddenly a strength and warmth grew within him. You see, for this young boy, for this young boy, these deep scars only started to heal, and he's not kind of healed in an instant, it's not kind of just flicking a light switch, but brick by brick, stitch by stitch, he starts to 
be put back together as he remembers and as increasingly his mind is filled with the words of this one who even the stars, the mountains cannot reach. The one who these stars tremble with awe as he remembers his words, his father's words become begin to fade. Jesus speaks stories and things happen. Things change. And so in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is speaking story after story and he's doing miraculous things, the incredible things, and he's getting a crowd and a following and he's going from town to town and at this stage there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people following him. And notice who Luke says are his patrons. It's not the nobleman. It's not the rich, it's not the wealthy, in fact it's not the church leaders, it's not kind of the local temples or gatherings kind of sponsoring this preacher. It is, in verse 1, 2 and 3, it is these women, these scandalous women who were demon possessed or even, I, I love this, Joanna who was the the manager of Herod's household. So even like Jesus's enemy, it's like it's like there is a woman in Jesus's enemy's household, and little does he know, but he's actually sponsoring Jesus's ministry. And in the ancient world, there would have been enormous pressure to remove or to downplay the role of women in Jesus's ministry, and yet all of them keep them in. They are the patrons of his ministry. They are the last ones at the cross. They are the first ones at the grave. They are the earliest eyewitnesses to the resurrection. In a time when a woman's testimony was not valid in court, one scholar says there would have been enormous pressure to remove them, and yet every one of them keeps them in. The only logical reason why I, a secular scholar, can can conclude, the only logical conclusion is that they really were there. And so a large crowd is gathering and people are coming from town after town, verse 4 tells us. And he tells them this parable. A farmer sows his seed. And notice how indiscriminately the farmer sows his seed. He he is casting it far and wide, his wealth. Indiscriminately sowing. And And the seed lands on four soils. The path, the rocky soil, the thorns and the good soil. And Jesus then goes on to explain the parable and he says the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear 
And then the devil comes and takes it away, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Notice this, they hear it, but the moment it lands, it is taken away so that they may not believe and be saved. What Jesus is saying is that for some, as the word of God is preached, as the word of God is scattered, as the word of God goes out, that for some, they will hear and never actually hear. That it is possible to sit in church for 30 or 40 years and to to never be really changed or transformed. That it is possible to be present and yet have his words just fall on deaf ears for it never to take root, never to change. To feel convicted by a sermon and then to walk out and suddenly realize just how hungry you are and for your thoughts to sway so quickly to lunch. Right? I'm not the only one that has this experience, right? Where you feel so convicted in the seats that you're in. And then the moment you walk out those doors, you kind of forget it all. It kind of falls to the wayside like a four-year-old carrying a bucket of water up to a sandcastle. And then by the time you get to the sandcastle, you tip it out and it's just like the smallest little bit of water falls out because it's just being carried by a four-year-old. That it is possible for the word of God to be heard and for it never really to sink in. And so the warning is, be careful how you hear. Be careful that you are not just sitting here and never changing. Because that is a dangerous place to be. And I do want to caution this with the, with the flip side, and that is that while this is a warning that be careful, you, you ought to be changing, there is even in the, in the example, right, and we'll get here later, but that growth can take a long time. Okay, Jesus doesn't use the illustration of kind of I don't even know. You can think of I don't know, what's a quick something that happens quickly. He uses an example that takes a long time for fruit to really grow, for a tree to grow. That that true growth, authentic, real growth, is often gradual and may appear unimpressive or hidden for the longest of times. But there ought to be growth. the rocky ground, that there are those, those on the rocky ground, Jesus says, are the ones who receive the word with joy. And when they, but when they hear, when they hear it, but they have no root, they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. 
I think one of the saddest things in in my job is seeing people go through suffering and you see it has one of two effects. Some people go through suffering and it causes them to press into God more. And other people go through suffering and it causes them just to go, I, there's no way I can do this then, now. That for some, they will respond with immediate joy, but it will be superficial. There is no root. That the, the foundation for their faith, if you will, if they're building a house, the foundation for their faith is simply their emotions, how they are feeling. And so when times of hardship come, they crumble just like the first two little pigs' houses. And, and certainly... True, authentic faith involves great emotions. Don't hear me wrong. But if the foundation for your faith is simply on based on how you feel, you will never find any stability. Because when life is hard, and life is hard, right? I don't know anyone for whom life isn't hard. Right? Marriage is hard. Relationships are difficult. When life is hard, when it is lonely, when you lose your job and you struggle with long-term unemployment, when everything seems to be crumbling down, have the words of he who made the stars sunk down deep enough. And, and let me just say this, you need to do the prep work beforehand. Like, we we ought to be a church, we want to be a church that, that coaches and teaches and we think hard about suffering. Why? Because you can't teach people about suffering when they're suffering. Like, you gotta do the hard work early. It's like me throwing an archer into the swimming pool expecting him to swim. Right? I've gotta do the baby steps helping him to swim before I throw him into the ocean. You gotta think hard about suffering. You gotta send those roots down deep before the storm comes. Or else you're going to be a guy that is trying to nail on boards onto his house as the hurricane approaches. And it's never going to work. You have to send the word of God down deep early. I remember listening to uh, Tim Keller talk about when he was first diagnosed with thyroid cancer. The time that he said, at that stage was probably the hardest moment of his life. And he said he was in his bed crying, just weeping. And he said, he had this thought, and he said this, he said, I suddenly thought, had a thought, I guess this is when we see whether I got into this for God to serve me, 
or for me to serve God. I guess this is when we see, we'll see whether I got into this for God to serve me or for me to serve God. C.S. Lewis in his great book Screwtape Letters, which is kind of a fictional novel of an uncle devil writing to his nephew devil and he's kind of giving him coach, he's coaching him on how to kind of, uh, Destroy someone's faith. And so when he speaks of the enemy in this next quote, he's speaking about, about God from kind of the devil's perspective. But here's what he says. He says, do not be deceived, Wormwood. That's his nephew. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Do you hear what he says? Our cause is never more in danger than when someone looks around when everything is crumbling when they ask why they've been forsaken and yet still walk forward, still persevere. Because that is the difference between this soil and the last soil. Notice the emphasis in the good soil is by persevering, the fruit comes. The thorny soil, the third soil, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, Jesus says. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. And so, whereas in the first two soils, the kind of dangers come from the outside in, in the third soil, his problem is not the devil, it's not the world, it's his flesh. And it's the desires for for riches, for pleasure, for comfort. And it's he or she's fear of, of not getting those things. That it is the good things. And notice this, it is the good things in life. Like riches aren't a bad thing. It's not like the devil invented pleasure. It is good things, and I've said this, I've said this, not a thousand times, I've said this once before to you. It is very rarely the poison apple that gets us. It is more often too much of the apple pie. That it is so much of the good things, so much of the, um, enjoyable things in life that choke out the life from this plant, this person, that they steal away the oxygen, the nutrients, and it withers. It is the pursuit of career over being plugged into God's people and all that he would call you to be. 
it is the elevation of travel as the most um as the most important thing it is wanting jesus and x y z if i was to ask you how would you finish this phrase i would be happy if i had jesus and what how would you answer that? It is worth asking your heart that question. I would be happy if I had Jesus and what? Because for this third soil, Jesus is important, but he is one of many important things. And I have seen so many parents um instill in their children a drive for things like the HSC or musical instruments or um a, a over kind of loving Jesus. And they would never say over loving Jesus, but they would just say during this season then this is kind of what's the reality, right? Or uh, it is just Jesus and needing to do well in the HSC. And, and I'm, I'm going to get emails about this. I know that's okay. Just Matt Ham at Gosford PC. Nah. But hear me. There are people in hell with great ATARs. There are people in hell with great ATARs. And what you instill, the patterns and rhythms that you set up for your 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 18-year-old are the patterns that they're going to take for the next 10 years. And those patterns are going to be the patterns that they're going to take till they're 80 and 90. There is nothing wrong with working hard for the HSE. There is nothing wrong with working hard in your career. There is nothing wrong with seeking a great marriage or someone to date. There is nothing wrong with wanting to retire. But be careful that those things are not where you are seeking to find your comfort and your pleasure. Lastly, the good soil. The seed, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. That the fourth soil are those who hear it and and wrestle with it, chew on it, if there's something that they're not sure about or they disagree on that, that's okay, but they, they kind of wrestle with it and let it sink in like a seed. And, and it teaches us a few things here, right? Because notice this. Notice that 
what we are seeing is that the kingdom of God, real life from God, is received, it's not achieved. Right? It's like receiving the seed. It's received rather than achieved. But notice this as well, that true life from God comes through hearing and listening. It comes through teaching and persuasion, not through force. It comes from reflecting on, letting it sink in from hearing well. And it is not easy to hear well. Husbands, am I right? It's not always easy to hear well. And so think about this year, you know, this year, in the next six hours. Think about next year. How... Let me ask you this question. Reflect on this. How is it in 2024 that I might help the word of God to sink down deep? How might you do that? Because we work hard for a thousand other things. And yet so often put such little effort into hearing and listening to the word of God well. We'll go to the gym three, four times a week to get a body that will only ever fail. We work hard in a career that will cost us everything. We will pour time and effort into a mortgage that is only ever crippling us. How hard is it will we work at listening to the word of God? Perhaps that for you will look like leaving a little notebook in the car and on a Sunday, you bring that notebook in with your Bible and, and you take notes during sermons. Perhaps as you're going to go, maybe I'm going to memorize a psalm. Maybe I'm going to memorize scripture. If you've never memorized scripture, here's how you do it. Day one, verse one, you say it ten times out loud and then ten times with your eyes closed. Memorized. That's it. Memorized. Three minutes. Day two, verse two. Say it ten times out loud, close your eyes, ten times again with your eyes closed, and then you say it once, or verse one and two together. Day three, verse three. Same thing again. Ten times out loud, ten times eyes closed, once right through. Because the power is not in the soil. The power is in the seed. Let me close with this story. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, he tells this fascinating story about he went on this trip to Italy and um, when he was there, he visited this um, tomb, this grave of this noble, this king at the time, uh, at the time that had died 
uh, hundreds of years ago. And uh, when he died, they placed this incredibly thick marble slab over his tomb. But when they had uh, placed the tomb over his body, uh, kind of in between, uh, like placing his body in and putting the marble on top, a tiny acorn seed had fallen onto his chest. And over the years, over the centuries, that marble seed had uh, grown from the nutrients of his body and it had wormed its way, finding every crevice and crack in the marble, just kind of weaving its way through and up. And... and now there is an ac- this giant acorn tree tree that has cracked this incredibly thick marble slab. A tiny seed doing what a team of horses could not do. How will you? Reflect, sink, and let the word of God sink deeply into your heart. Let's pray. Our God and King, we ask that you might do what we cannot do. We pray that you might soften our hearts. We pray that you might work within us that you might bear great fruit, that you might help us to listen well and for your word to sink deeply into our hearts and into our minds. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.